Come on and celebrate the goodness of God, church. You may be seated. You guys sound great. Hey, two quick things before we get in today. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday is a special day for two reasons. One is Juneteenth, and secondly, it is Father's Day. Father's Day. And so we got some great dads. You know, we blessed our moms a few uh, weeks ago, actually more than a few weeks ago now, but Father's Day is coming, so we're going to bless our dads. We have root beer floats for all the men next week. A keg, Scott, a keg of root beer, what I'm talking about. And I think we said, I don't know, 30, 40 gallons of ice cream. Anybody got an extra freezer we can borrow? I'm just saying, we need a freezer. Um, and we got these real glasses. These aren't plastic. So, so bring your dads. Dads, if you're here, come next week. You want to kind of leave uh, next week with a, and we're going to fix you up to go, like, like root beer float to go with your glass. Going to be a great, great day. If your dad is not here today, bring him next week, and uh, we're just going to celebrate the men in this church. Hey, we're in this series now called After Amen, and last week, my good friend, Pastor Rusty George, preached a phenomenal message, and he sent me an email this week. And by the way, if you missed the message last week, go check it out on our YouTube channel. He sent me an email. He said, first, and he did all caps, thank you for one of the best guest speaking experiences I've ever had. He said, what a joy. I'm available, and then all caps again, anytime especially during basketball season. Um, but it does give me a chance just to thank you for being who you are. Uh, I tell all my friends when they come here to speak, you, you won't find a friendlier, more loving, caring church than New Hope. And uh, you continue to make that truth. Thank you for always welcoming the word of God preached by anyone and everyone. Amen? Last thing, last thing. Uh, we had an amazing kids camp yesterday. And uh, we had a lot of kids, and we had a lot of world changers. We had, check this out, we had uh, 40 world changers, adult world changers, 12 student volunteer world changers, nine rooted group world changers, and over 100 kids and three precious children accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior yesterday at this church. And it gives me a chance just to say to all of our children's ministry staff and world changers and those who showed up yesterday, thank you. It also gives me a chance to say to you who so into the ministry of this church, because you give, we are able to do things like that yesterday. And so if you came ready to give today, we have the black boxes in the back. We also have various ways for you to sow into the ministry of this church. But Jesus said, you remember Jesus said this about children. They tried to keep children away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the little children come unto me for such belongs the kingdom of God. And because of your generosity, we are able to go after the next generation, not just yesterday, come on but week after week after week in the life of this church. So thank you for sowing into the ministry of this church. So today, there's just been a great spirit in, in the house today and outside the house, outside, all over the place. And today I'm going to introduce a topic that will bring a heaviness to the room. Are y'all good with that? Y'all good with that? Like, you know, I think long gone is the day where uh, we think all we got to do is, you know, just smile and put on a shiny face. You know, I'm good. How you doing, Scott? I'm good. Lost my job yesterday. I'm good. How you doing? 
Wife won't doubt on me, but I'm good, right? And, and, and it's just this, this shallow, thin, shiny kind of Christianity. Um, and today, um, and I'm really thankful about the day in which we live because I believe those days are gone. And I believe most folks show up and they're willing to be at least a little more honest about how they're doing than they were some time ago, right? We used to always, I used to say to church, you know, check your mask at the door. I said that a few months ago and everybody thought I was talking about the mask that some of you are wearing for COVID. Like, oh, you, no, no, you keep wearing your mask. But like, check the mask at the door because the church should be a place where we don't wear masks. Amen? Where we are just honest with one another. Where we can do life with one another. Because the truth is, life is hard. And, 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 and the Christian community should be a place where we can just be real and authentic about that. A few years ago, I know it had to be at least a few years ago because it was prior to the pandemic. A few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference. And um, at, at, during one of the, the sessions, the speaker uh, had us all circle up in these round tables. And so you picture hundreds of pastors all around these round tables, tables of, of five or six or so. And, and we're sitting there and they said, hey, here's what I want y'all to do. I want you to introduce your name, where are you from, how long you've been serving there, and how are you doing? And, uh, you know, it was going just like you would expect, right? My name is Benji. I'm from North Carolina. I serve New Hope Church, and I'm doing good, right? And, 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 and we went around the room, and that was kind of the spiel from most of the pastors until it got to this one guy. And he said, my name is, and I'll, I'll leave it blank, my name is, uh, I serve a church down in Georgia, or as they say down there, Georgia. <laughs> Been serving there for a while. And then, and then he said, I, I wrote it down, it moved me so much. He, he said, I'm not doing very well. In fact, I've never been worse in my life. I'm thinking about quitting the ministry and possibly taking my life. And the same thing happened around that table that just happened in this room. There was a gasp. I gotta be honest for a while, did I hear him correctly? We're sometimes surprised by that kind of brutal honesty. So we circled up, we journeyed with that guy, we've been journeying with that guy. We have a saying around New Hope, which is why I was so Thrill when I saw that, that Pastor Rusty included, included it in his book. We have a saying around New Hope, and it talks about the final 10%. And so when we're in meetings with staff or we're doing one-on-ones, you'll often hear a staff person say something like this, may I share with you the last 10%. And for the staff who are really eager to grow, they might say something like, huh, go ahead. You know it's too good. The meeting's been too good up till now. Go ahead. Go ahead and what? Give me the last 10%. In other words, most of us are really good at being honest up to about 90% of the deal. But very few of us, and again, I think the days are changing where we're getting more and more open to this, but very few people are willing to, to share that final 10%. I mean, come on, think about your interactions each week. Maybe you're at lunch with somebody and they're sharing something with you. And you're like, man, that was wrong that he did that. Well, how dare him, blah, blah, blah. Then you get in the car and you text your other girlfriend. And you're like, you're not gonna believe what she did. We're, not share we're sharing the 10% with the wrong person. I wanna talk to you today about this idea of being brutally honest with God and with one another. 
And just by way of memory, you, you know this, but we sometimes forget it. God is a big fan of honesty. It made the top 10 list. Come on, read it out loud with me. It's one of the 10 commandments. It was a short verse. Ready? Go. Thou shall not. Come on, a little bit louder, church. Thou shall not lie. And when you think about this final 10%, it's really helpful to think about that in being honest with God first and honest with those we love and those that love us. Those you trust. I'll say that a few times throughout the message. You want to be very careful, but everybody needs their tribe, right? Everybody needs their people that they can be very, very honest with and share that final 10%. In the book of James, James talks about prayer, and you know this verse. He says this, confess your sins to who? Each other and pray for each other. Now, the next two words is very important. Underline it, circle it, take a picture, put it to memory, whatever. So that, everybody say, so that. So that you may be healed. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. What? So that you may be healed. And here's the next part that we all really, really like, but the first part is just as important. The prayer of a righteous person is what, church? Is powerful and what? So you got to understand, James is dealing, like lots of churches often deal with, James is dealing with social tensions in the community of faith. So he's saying, confess your sins to one another, not just so that they are forgiven, but so that we can be a healthy community of faith because the prayer of a righteous person, the old King Jimmy used to say, availeth much, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you, as you study this, you start to ask the question, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be effective Righteous, for the sake of James' context, implies that our unconfessed sin can break down our connection with God. Have you ever been taught that before? I think we sometimes, we, we love grace and we celebrate grace and we're all in freedom and the good news of the gospel. But I don't know if you've really dealt with this, but the truth is when I sin, my sin fractures my relationship with God. It breaks my relationship with God. The same way James is saying this is going down in the community of faith, it fractures my relationship with God until I confess it, come on, plead the blood of Jesus over my sin, experience forgiveness that I'm put back in a right relationship with God. That's righteous. Then he says effective. What does that mean? Effective is a confession that is put into action not just in word alone, but in deed. So I pray and then I work. I pray and I wait and I work, or as Abby taught several weeks ago, I do the next right thing. Take this down in your notes mentally or whatever. Come clean, be honest, share the last 10%. Say that with me. Come clean. Be honest, share the last 10%. Jesus tells this story in the Gospels. You can turn there if you want. In Luke chapter 18, he tells this story of two dudes who go to church. One's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. Now, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that the Pharisees were the religious elite. They, they were the clergy. And they judged everyone. They were mean-spirited. 
They, were, they, were, they would shut people out, try to shut people out from the grace of God. They were arrogant. They were obnoxious. They were hypocritical. And guess what? They got on Jesus' last nerves. He couldn't stand them. That sounds wrong to say. I mean, Jesus loves everybody, I know. He loves them. But hey, they got on his nerves. That's clear in the Gospels. So a Pharisee shows up to church, and I want you to watch what he prays. God, you can kind of hear the, the religious voice. God, you been there? God, thank you I'm not like the rest of society. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, or even this tax. He calls the dude out. He calls the tax collector out. Says, God, thank you that I'm not like the rest of society, especially like this tax collector. Then Jesus tells the story of what the tax collector prayed. And the tax collectors, guys, they were hated in first century Palestine. And the first, the first century Palestine tax collector did not, cheated people, people didn't like him. And look at what he prays. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you study the original language, it's better to be put like this. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus is comparing these two. He's showing us the difference between religious elitism, religious arrogance, judgmentalism, and what does it mean to be humble before God and share the last 10%. The Pharisee left with nothing but his arrogance. Guess what? The tax collector, he left swimming in the grace of Almighty God. Jesus drops the truth bomb and lets everyone know who's in the right and who is in the wrong. Pastor Rusty says this in his book. I know so many of you are reading. By the way, we sold out last week. We have a new case in the Resource Center, so pick one up on your way out. Rusty says this. He says, it's clear that while Jesus bristles at our selfish demands and is put off by religious self-righteousness, he is drawn to our what, church? Vulnerable honesty. Hey, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. He, he's out there in a boat. And if, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, you know it's not a big body of water. It's actually a very small body of water. It's, it's not anywhere near the size of Jordan to the south of us or, or Gaston or Falls of the Noose to the north of us. It's a small body of water. And whenever they get on the, the boat in the gospel, something's crazy gonna happen. This day, a storm comes up. It comes over the mountains. It happens all the time. Ferocious wind, storm comes up. And these boats aren't that strong. So they're out on the Sea of Galilee. The storm is raging. Picture the disciples. They're bailing water. They're freaking out. They think they're going under. They look toward the, the helm of the boat, if you will. And what is Jesus doing? You guys remember? He's sleeping. Jesus, the storm is raging. Jesus is in the fetal position. Guys, he's well beyond the rapid eye movement stage. I mean, he is out. Now, they, they're freaking out. They get him up. They don't say, Jesus, will you calm the storm? They don't say, Jesus, why are you sleeping? Didn't you sleep last night? They, they say something fascinating. Don't you care? In fact, let's read it out loud together. Mark 4 and 38. Go. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? You ever been there? Come on, we're going to be honest today. You ever, you ever wondered if God cares? 
You ever prayed for something and heard absolutely nothing? And in your human carnal nature, you start to question whether God really cares about you. God, it's been six months and I can't find a job. Don't you care? God, it's been six years that we've been trying to get pregnant and have children. Don't you care? God, I finally got pregnant and then I miscarried. Don't you care? God, I have prayed for my marriage for decades. Don't you care? I told you we were going to be brutally honest today and talk about the hard stuff. So the disciples in the midst of the storm, I find this fascinating. They didn't wake Jesus up like, yo, we've seen you do all your miracles. We know you got it. Calm the storm. <laughs> Instead, Jesus, don't you care? Now, here's what's fascinating. Their honesty did not cause Jesus to get mad. Their honesty did not cause Jesus to do anything but lean in more for the final 10%. Honesty does not push God away. Brutal honesty and transparency and vulnerability actually draws God to us. Another example, there's this dude in the New Testament. He's got a demon-possessed son. Now, I don't know where your mind goes when I say demon-possessed son. I know we're postmodern, Western, 21st century people, and so sometimes we might diagnose things that could have been considered back then as demon possession medically, but the truth is in the New Testament, there, there was this concept of demon possessions, and we know that there are real spiritual forces. There are forces of good and light, and there are forces of demonic and darkness, right? And so this dude has this son who is demon-possessed, and uh, he comes to Jesus and he's talking to him. And in Mark 9, 22, the word of the Lord says this, have mercy on us and help us. <laughs> what are those next three words? If you can. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now guys, I gotta tell you, my, theolog my theology will, will very rarely allow me to say to God, if you can, Right? Because God can do anything. But God doesn't get pushed off by this. He doesn't get offended by this. He kind of answers with a little correction and then lets him know who he is. What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> anything is possible if a person believes. Amen. Now check this out. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, right? He's, been, he's kind of been corrected. I do believe, but, but he's still honest again. But help me overcome my unbelief. You see, we can learn something from these passages in the Gospels that, that again, Jesus is not put off by your honesty. Jesus, check this out. Jesus is never surprised by your honesty because he's sovereign, like, I don't, I don't know if you're like this. Maybe I'm the only one, but I doubt it. Sometimes I don't share the final 10% with God because I lean into the sovereignty of God. And I'm like, oh, he, he knows already. Right? He's sovereign. He, he knows. He knows what's going on. I don't need to share that. He knows. Now, why do we do that? Because it's hard to be that honest. It's hard to be that vulnerable. 
And even though he knows it's not for his knowledge, it's for the relationship that is at hand. Like when you're walking with brothers and sisters in Christ, if we don't learn to live honest and vulnerable and transparent lives with our closest friends, again, those we trust, the relationship is not all that it can be. It's shallow. It's, it's false. And again, religious people, man, we've been the worst at this. We think because we're saved, come on, come on. We think because we're saved, we gotta have it all together. News point, all points bulletin, guess what? None of us have it all together. Raise your hand if you got it all together. I'm glad nobody raised their hand. I don't know what I would have said right there. Probably meet me afterwards, I wanna meet you. You might be, you know, I don't know, what in the flesh, I don't know, me, I, no, no, listen, news flash, none of us have it all together. Most of you know that in the last couple of years, I have, uh, I've gone places with you and this church that um, I didn't for a while. And as I've done that with you to the church that I love and the church that I still don't know why loves me, I've actually find myself these days wondering, why, why did you take so long? There's something beautifully freeing and powerful about just sharing the final 10%. There's something sanctifying, forgiving, freeing about just being brutally honest. And for those you can trust and those who love you and with God who definitely you can trust and loves you, it's so powerful. And it's the only way to really live. And what ends up keeping us from sharing it is this thing called shame. This, this, this fear of being unforgivable. This fear of being embarrassed about where you are. Brene Brown, who you've heard me quote and who has really ministered a lot to me in the last few years, Brene Brown says this, put shame in a Petri dish and it needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Is that not what has bombarded the church or religious institutions for many, many years? Secrecy, judgment, silence, right? Jesus calls us out of the darkness and into the light. Jesus calls us to have relationships with one another, with our tribe, with our band of brothers or sisters, that we can just be really honest. Instead of how are you doing, oh, I'm good, and your life is miserable. Here's a way to start to maybe create this in our culture. How are you doing, really? Ooh, that changes everything. Have you ever asked anybody, how are you doing? Pause, really? If you can have those kinds of friends, if we can be that kind of church, you'll hear a story next week I'll share where a brother said to me just this week that, that he had this unique advantage of standing in the rotunda last week and watching our church, and he saw exactly what I'm talking about today unfolding. And in fact, when he and his wife were on their way home from church, she said to him, you know, we saw a lot of church happening today at New Hope. Isn't that a great way to put it? The church is not a building. Church 
is you. It's me. And I'm so thrilled to know that we're starting to see this turn in the life of the church. We're starting to see this turn in the life of humanity where things have gotten so hard and so bad that people aren't hiding it anymore. They aren't sweeping it under the rug anymore. Application two things and then we're going to move into a powerful time of worship and celebrate a baptism. Sharing the last 10%. Here it is. Come clean with God. Say that with me. Come clean with God. One more time. Come clean with God. He knows, but your relationship will go to the next level as you come clean with God and you learn to share your heart, your deepest desires, your pain, your regrets, your offenses, your struggles, your sin with God. Max Lucado, in his book, Anxious for Nothing, talks about the specific nature and the specific power of honest prayer and the way, watch this, and studies have been shown to, to, to show this, the way in which that kind of authenticity with God decreases anxiety, helps us with depression. In other words, it takes our, our problems, which can tend to be so big, right? And we're always telling God about how big our problems are. What if we start telling our problems how big God is? And we start working with God and getting honest with God. God has a way of right-sizing, or maybe a better way to put it is making more manageable the struggles that we walk through. So what's your last 10% with God? I'll sit there for a moment and just let you think about that. What is it that you find yourself if you pray, and I know, again, most of us don't pray enough, right? I'm with you. But if you were to stop and think about your relationship with God, what is it that you have not shared with your heavenly Father who loves you, who wants to have that kind of intimate relationship? Maybe it would be, God, I'm scared. Anybody scared here? God, I'm lonely. God, I'm, ooh, we can say this, I'm doubting. Anybody here ever doubt God? Aren't you glad I didn't ask for a show of hands? <laughs> yeah. God, I'm anxious. God, I'm hiding. Why, why do I keep defaulting towards isolation? God, I'm done. Anybody ever felt that way? I'm just done. Maybe you're done with the situation. Maybe there have been times when you've almost been done with God. Don't do that. Don't go there. But a part of not going there, stick with you, a part of not going there is being honest with your feelings and confiding in your God who loves you. Second thing. Come clean with those you trust. Come clean with those you trust. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott suggests that the best kind of prayer is simply the word, help! 
Hey, guess what? A group of us got together on Thursday. We were brainstorming this mental health series that we're going to do in the fall. I'm actually seriously considering calling that series help. Because most of us need help. And we're finally to a point as a culture and even as a church where we're willing to admit it. Help, God. Talking to your friends. Help, I need a lifeline over here. I'm struggling. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm thinking about taking my life. I'm thinking about quitting. I'm thinking about leaving. It's on the other side of that kind of honesty and transparency that real healing occurs. It's what I've, it's what I've discovered, especially most recently. It's on the other side of pushing through and sharing those things that we don't want to share with people we trust that we can have companions for the journey called life and make it through the storms that tend to rage. Y'all remember the pastor friend I told you about at the beginning of my message? The one who said, I've never been any worse. I'm thinking about quitting and throwing in the towel and even thinking about taking my life. I reached out to him recently just to check in on him. We journeyed with him for quite a while, and we all stay in touch with him loosely, not like we used to, but we, we, we walked with him through that journey, and I, I knew this message was coming up, so I reached out to him. He texted back, and he, he said this. He said, that day was a turning point for me, a kind of revolution of the soul that has since risen up inside of me. He said, from that moment that I opened up and let this band of brothers journey with me, I slowly but surely started to rediscover passion for life and ministry again. I'm now experiencing a deep-seated joy that has started to bubble up from inside my soul and I now think I'm going to make it. That was what was on the other side of letting us into his world, letting us journey with him. Can you catch a vision? Can you catch a vision of what a community of faith could look like where people don't show up to play church, where people don't feel like they got to put a mask on and dress a certain way. I mean, we ain't that church. We've never been that church. But we need this reminder, do we not, because we can all slip right back into it. Can you catch a vision of what it would look like for your rooted group or your life group or for our children's ministry or student ministry or young adults to be made up of women and men who actually live honestly before one another. We walk into a room and we don't feel like we have to have it all together because again, none of us have it all together. And we're a community of faith. We're all the mask. They're not, they're not checked at the door like I used to say. 
They don't need to be checked at the door because we're never wearing them. We're just, this is who I am. Like it or not, this is who I am. Broken, flawed, needing help, needing companionship, needing a brother or a sister or a group to journey with me through life. And as you journey with me, we will journey with you. And it is only by God's grace that we will make it to the other side. Praise his holy name. Amen, church. May it be so in the life of this church. May it be so in our groups. May we give the final 10%. Father, we thank you for this house. Thank you for the spirit that is here today. God, I'm so grateful for a community where I can just be me and they can be them. God, pastors have forever felt like they've been thrust upon a pedestal and they've got to have it all together. God, I thank you that we are just a bunch of beggars trying to tell others where to find bread. And we have found that living bread in you, Lord Jesus. So Father, let this kind of settle into our church. Let us let us continue to first and foremost, God, share the, the final 10% with you. God, may our prayer lives increase. And when we feel led to stop and cut it short, Father, may I press through. May I confide in you and share parts of my life that you are already fully aware of. But in doing so, God, may my relationship with you grow to deeper levels of intimacy and connection. And Father, I pray for groups in this church, whatever those groups look like. God, I know this is hard to happen on a Sunday, and like I said, we'll share next week of ways in which it was happening on a Sunday, but these are big groups. God, I pray that in the days ahead, we will see small groups of people circling up in different places around this campus. And they're just doing life together. They're being real. They're sharing that final 10%. And because we've got you and because we have one another, we believe just like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Father, we will make it through our storms. We will get to the other side where we will see you face to face. There will be no more storms. There will be no more tears. But until then, oh God, may we tap into that which you have given us, a relationship with you and a relationship in your church where we can just be real. We love you. We honor you. And we ask that you would let it be so in the days ahead like never before. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.